Hey, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to River Glen. Welcome, everybody, here in, in Waukesha. Welcome, everybody, online and in Pewaukee. Thank you so much for making River Glen part of your uh, weekend as we uh, continue with week number two of Rebuild. We're going through the story of Nehemiah and looking at how God used him to rebuild that wall around Jerusalem. And because of the pandemic and uh, everything else, I mean, all of us have some rebuilding work to do, don't we? Uh, rebuilding jobs and, and careers and businesses, rebuilding financially, rebuilding health, rebuilding educationally, rebuilding marriages and families and, and friendships, and rebuilding our church. We're hoping for a, a better year, an easier year in 2021, right? Don't you like that word, easy? That's a great uh, word. I don't know if you've seen this gadget before, but uh, Staples came out with this easy button several years ago. You push it, and it's real simple. It just says, That's, that was easy. And they've sold millions of these buttons. I mean, all over the world. They, they sell these things in 12 different languages. They started using this advertising slogan, wouldn't it be nice if there was an easy button for, for life. And uh, that would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I want an easy life, I want an easy marriage, I want an easy job, I want easy health, I want my kids to have an easy life. But is easy really the best? Do, do this hypothetical exercise uh, with me. I want you to imagine that uh, you have a child that is about to be born and they hand you a script for the child's entire life and you get to uh, read it over and then, they, then they're gonna give you an eraser and you got five minutes to make edits. You read about the different hardships and problems that your child will face. Your child will have a learning disability. Reading comes easy for other kids, but it'll be a challenge for your child. Your child gets into the college that they wanna go to, but then they get into a car accident and that leads to a year-long depression. They get a, a good job out of college, but then there's an economic downturn and they lose their job and they file for bankruptcy. And so you've got this eraser and you got five minutes to edit. What do you erase? Many of us, I think, instinctively would erase that learning disability and the car accident and the financial challenge. But ask yourself, is that really what's best for them to just erase it? Is that what's best? What if you erase the one thing that's going to teach them compassion? What if you erase the one thing that's going to teach them joy in any situation? What if you erase the one problem that God uses for his purpose and for their good? We all want easy, but easy isn't always best. I want you to hear from Randy and Mary from our church telling us about some of the challenges that they faced this past year. Take a look. Yeah, let's give Randy and Mary a hand. I really appreciate them sharing their story. Wow, they went through a lot. They had a really difficult year. They endured a lot, but God used it uh, to grow them closer to each other and to others and to himself. And God's using them to do an incredible rebuilding work. Scripture says that we can uh, rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That's what happened to Randy and Mary, and that's what happened to Nehemiah when he rebuilds the wall around Jerusalem. It started out pretty easy, but he had to endure some difficult opposition and challenges. Just to catch everybody up, it's the year 444 BC, 
And Nehemiah works as the cupbearer to the king of Persia named Artaxerxes. As the cupbearer, he would taste the king's food and drink the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, Probably not a job that I would uh, personally want to apply for. But that's the work that he was doing. And so he lived in this foreign country, working for the king. And all of a sudden, some friends from Jerusalem, which was Nehemiah's homeland, they make a trip to come and visit. And naturally, Nehemiah wants to know, how's everybody doing back home? But the news is not good. Uh, He finds out the wall is down and the people are unprotected and vulnerable and it's embarrassing to God and nobody can do anything about it. But then all of a sudden, this ordinary guy, Nehemiah, he feels this extraordinary burden that moves him to tears. And he asks the king for permission to go back home to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around the city. And miraculously, the king said, yes. And so Nehemiah goes 800 miles back to his hometown of Jerusalem and he tells the people, I believe that God can use us to rebuild these walls. Never mind the the fact that Nehemiah is not a builder. Never mind the fact that the walls have been down for almost 200 years. Nehemiah believes that God can do the impossible and he starts leading people to rebuild uh, the walls. Uh, Last weekend I asked you, what is your wall? What is God calling you to rebuild? What burden has God put on your heart to move you to rebuild something? We invited you to write down a prayer on one of these uh, boxes. And uh, if you weren't here last weekend, you can grab one of these boxes in the lobby and write a prayer down on that. If you're watching online, you can email your prayer and somebody will write that uh, on a box for you. And so we're gonna stack these boxes in the uh, lobby as a reminder of the rebuilding work that God is doing in and through us. I want to read a few of the prayers that you wrote down. Somebody wrote, God, break my heart for what you'd like me to build for you. God, use me to help kids and young adults with anxiety. God, use me to help with the elderly. God, help me rebuild a church family, the church family. God has something for all of us to rebuild. But here's the challenge. Anytime you do something significant for God, anytime you try to do something significant, there's gonna be opposition. It's not gonna be easy. Uh, You're gonna have to endure difficulty. You can count on it. Think about it this way. Oftentimes we don't face opposition when we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. When, When you start building whatever God calls you to build, That's oftentimes when you experience the opposition. Let's say that you set a goal to lose uh, 10 pounds and you're doing really good. I mean, you've lost nine pounds, even though uh, Oscar's frozen custard has the, uh, for the Sunday of the month, it's called the New Year's resolution with peanut butter and and hot fudge. Uh, But you say, no, no, not gonna do the Sunday of the month. But then your car breaks down and you realize you don't have your cell phone and so you walk to the closest store and uh, you discover it's a Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, they've got this donut called the Jelly Stick and they've got a really great deal going on. You buy one and you get 22 for free. And so, you know, you do it and uh, you eat eat some uh, Jelly Sticks. But that's how it often goes. You make good progress, you do something right and that's when you experience, when you face Opposition. Maybe some of you would say, you know what, I'd like to build my relationship with God. I'd like to develop a closer relationship with God this year. But the moment you start moving towards that, a family member or, or a friend says, oh, what? Are you going to get all religious now? 
and it's opposition in your life. Maybe you tell someone what God has put on your heart, what he put on your heart to rebuild last week. And the first thing they say is, oh, who do you think you are? That's, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? You don't have what it takes. It's opposition. Or you say, I want to rebuild my marriage. And so you start going to marriage counseling and immediately, I mean, you get in the biggest fight that you've ever had. It's opposition in your life. Or you start serving and uh, volunteering in the two-year-old room in kid life. And it happens to be the day, your first time happens to be the day when a two-year-old throws up Fruit Loops all over your lap. And it's opposition. Oftentimes we don't face opposition when we do something right. It's when we are doing, or excuse me, we don't face it when we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we do something right. Here's probably what some of you are thinking. I must be doing a lot right then because I've got a lot of opposition in my life. Well, that may be true. I mean, that's how life works. Why would your spiritual enemy oppose you if you're not doing anything right? That's what gets his attention. If if you're, you're not doing anything right, your enemy is like, well, let's just let them keep doing what they're doing. Oftentimes, it's when you're doing something right that you face opposition. But many Christians get confused by this. We think, you know what, when I put my faith in Jesus, it's just going to be smooth sailing after that. It's going to be easy. But look at what Jesus said to his followers. In this life, you're going to have trouble. Don't be surprised by that. But Jesus goes further. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. In other words, I mean, if nobody ever opposes you, if, if, if everything just always goes smoothly and easy, Jesus says, you're probably not doing the rebuilding work that God has called you to do. And so when Nehemiah starts to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, he gets off to a great start, but then he experiences strong opposition. I want you to see three strategies from the story of Nehemiah that your enemy will use to oppose you. And some of you, as you hear these three strategies, one of them is really going to resonate with you. And you're going to go, that's me. I mean, that's what I'm dealing with right now. And so my prayer is that today is that God will give you the clarity and the strength to overcome the opposition so that you can keep building what God has called you to build. All right, here's the first strategy of opposition that some of you, some of you might be facing right now. Your enemy will try to discourage you. Let's pick it up here in, in chapter four of uh, verse one of chapter four in Nehemiah. It says this, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Now, who's this guy named Sanballat? Other than having a crazy name, that's kind of fun to say. He actually is the governor of Samaria, okay? And so if Jerusalem rebuilds and gains strength, He's going to lose political power. In other words, he's got an ulterior motive for getting mad at Nehemiah. It says he flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews who rebuilt. Who rebuilt. Verse 3 says, Tobiah, the Ammonite who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. You know what this is? This is uh, Old Testament trash talking uh, right here. You know, we might say, you know, your mama jokes, things like that. But they would tell fox on the wall jokes. Um, and high-five e- each other. But, but what are they actually doing here? They're discouraging and opposing Nehemiah. And notice, Sanballat is hanging out with Tobiah uh, because oftentimes critics run with critics. Critics have a certain insecurity and they, they want other critics 
surrounding them. The problem with critics like Sandballot is that oftentimes they never pause to consider the possibility that what they're criticizing is actually a movement of God. All that uh, Sandballot can think about is his own power, his own position, his own prestige. Take a look at this map. This kind of gives you a, a better understanding of, what, of what's going on in Jerusalem. That's where Nehemiah is rebuilding the, the wall. Sanballat's the governor of Samaria. Tobiah is from Ammon. And as we continue reading, we, we see that people from Edom and Ashdod also discourage and oppose Nehemiah. Think about how easy it would have been for Nehemiah to quit at this point and go, you know what? God's not in this. It's not working. I'm getting discouraged and opposed from every direction. Even a really important person like Sanballat the governor is, is uh, opposing me. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah uh, to quit. And maybe some of us are at a quitting point in some area of our, our life. Maybe it's your marriage and you're like, I'm so close to quitting my uh, marriage. Other people are telling me that I should and I'm just sick and tired of the fighting and the drama. Or maybe you've got this dream that God put on your life to build something, but you're close to quitting because discouragement has set in. Here's the question that I want to ask you. Are you quitting because it's the right thing to do? Or are you quitting because it's the easier thing to do? Nehemiah was determined to finish the wall because it was the right thing to do. You know, I know some people who quit the moment they experience some opposition from an important person like a sand ballot in their life. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a mother-in-law or a friend or some other important person. Maybe you're really excited about doing something for God. Maybe you love kids and you go, you know what, I want to adopt or I want to provide foster care. But then the moment you mention that to a family member or a friend, they make a snide comment and they say, you can barely take, take care of the two kids that you are, already have. Are you sure that that you want to do this, and it's sand ballot all over again, and the discouragement sets in. Or maybe you feel like you should leave a high-paying job for a job that, that you've got more passion for, or maybe has more purpose for you, but the moment you tell your friends, you know, they're like, what are you smoking? That is like the dumbest idea, and it's sand ballot all over again. Don't be surprised when you build what God has called you to build, that you've got to endure some opposition. Now, before I go further, I need to make an important clarification. Sometimes when another person criticizes you, it's valid. It's correct. I know that might be a shocker, you know, for some of us. But sometimes criticism is helpful and valid. And so you've got to use discernment. Is this criticism that I should listen to and make changes from? Or is this criticism that I should just dismiss? Nehemiah dismisses the criticism because he knows that God sent him on this mission to rebuild this wall. But Nehemiah didn't send them an angry email. He didn't rehearse a comeback to try to really zing them. He didn't really even deal with them directly. Instead, he prayed. And I want you to see his prayer. It might surprise you. Look at what he prays. Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. Nehemiah prays and he asks God to fight this battle for him. Nehemiah simply prays and then he goes back to work. He prays and then he says, hand me another brick. He will not allow discouragement, 
uh, in opposition to slow him or stop him from building what God has called him to build. Here's the second strategy that your enemy might use in your life. Your enemy will try to distract you. He'll try to discourage you. And if that doesn't work, then he'll try to distract you. Look at Nehemiah chapter six, verse one. It says this, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though he had not yet set up the doors in the gates. In other words, at this point, they're almost done rebuilding the wall. They've only got a few more gates, a couple more gates to put up. But then it says, so Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? So Nehemiah has almost completed the wall. Uh, but that's when Sanballat and Tobiah try to meet with him when he needs to be the most focused. They sent him a meeting request for the plain of Ono. Here's a little tip for you. Anytime your enemy wants to meet you in a place called Ono, uh, don't do it, okay? <laughs> uh, Nehemiah says, oh no, I can't meet you in the plains of oh no. And I love the, this explanation he gives them. He's up on a ladder and he says, I'm doing a great work where I am. I can't come down and meet with you. I know what God's called me to do and it's not to meet with you in the plains of oh no. Here, here's my experience. Anytime you build what God has called you to build, you are constantly gonna to have to make decisions about what is an opportunity and what is a distraction. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Oftentimes you think something is an opportunity and it's actually a distraction. I'll tell you over the years, I've, I've been asked to attend a pastor breakfast and serve on a board. And I've had outside teaching opportunities. And these are good opportunities. I mean, I appreciate getting asked. These are good things. But most of the time, I've got messages to write. And I say, I'm doing a good work right here. I'm doing a good work right where I am. Maybe someday, but not today. One of the most important skills you can develop is the ability to say no to things that might distract you from what God has called you to build. Just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should. Maybe God's called you to do something, build something right now. Maybe it's to finish your education. And so you say, I can't come out tonight. I've got to study. I've got a great work that I'm doing right here where I am. Uh, maybe, maybe it's to rebuild your finances, rebuild your savings. I'm sorry, I can't go to lunch with you guys. I brought my, I, my own. I'm doing a great work right here where I am. Don't let the opposition of distraction stop you from building what God's called you to build. Here's a third strategy that your enemy might use. Your enemy will try to discredit you. He'll try to discourage you. He'll try to distract you. And he might try to discredit you. After Nehemiah says, no, I can't uh, meet with you, Sanballat and Tobiah, they write what is called an open letter. An open letter was left unsealed and so the public could read it kind of like a blog post. And here's what the le this letter said. Geshem uh, tells me that everywhere he goes, he hears that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that's why you're building this wall, which of course is totally untrue. According to this report, you plan to be their king. I, I, want, you, I want you to see how Sanballat phrases this. He says, 
everywhere he goes. You ever, you, ever heard, you ever heard this before? Someone might say, you know, everyone is saying this. Everyone is going to. Reminds me of when I first started working as a pastor. I started out as a youth pastor. And I remember there was a season, we had this season when God was really working and the ministry was growing and more and more kids were giving their life to Jesus. But then I had a volunteer that started criticizing me. And uh, he basically said, if you don't do what I want you to do, everybody's going to leave the student ministry next Sunday. And you're going to be standing there alone. But I knew that if I did what he wanted me to do, that it wouldn't be the right decision. And so I politely said, we're not going to do that. And the next week, this guy and one or two others didn't show up. But we continued to do God's work. And we had our best season of growth. I learned that oftentimes when people say that, that you know, everyone is saying, everyone is going to, that is actually a tactic to try to bully you into doing what they want you to do. And that's what Nehemiah, that's what Sanballat does to Nehemiah. He tries to bully him by spreading rumors, these rumors. You ever had somebody spread a false rumor about you? That hurts. That, that's, that's no fun. And it's easy to get hot and bothered by that. But here's what I want you to remember. You don't answer to your critics. You answer to God. Isn't that good news? I mean, you're not going to stand before your uh, critics and give an answer, but you are going to stand before God. And so we don't live our lives. We don't live to please our critics. We live to please God. We don't make decisions based on what our critics tell us uh, to do. We make decisions based on what God tells us to do. And Nehemiah simply says, uh, it's not true and then he gets back to work. And I love how he gets back to work. Look at this. We all returned to our work on the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the, uh, in the other. And so I want you to kind of picture how they're doing their work. You know, in the one hand, they had like a tool like this, like a trowel that you use to spread concrete and lay uh, brick. And then uh, with, their, uh, with their other hand, they had... Uh, yeah, a sword. Isn't that cool? You know, I'm thinking about just keeping this back here each week with me, uh, just in case. You know, you never know. But, but try to picture this, okay? You know, with one hand, they stand along the wall, and they build what God calls them to build. And in the other hand, they fight and they protect what God has called them to build. And, you know, we live, we need to live the same way. If you want to build your finances, you've got to fight over spending and impulse buying. If, if you want to build godly friendships, maybe you say, you know, I wish I had more friends that could help me with my uh, faith. You know, you've got to fight your insecurities. You've got to take a risk. Sign up for a, a group. Send somebody a, a text message and say, hey, you want to get together for lunch? I'd, I'd, like to, I'd love to talk to somebody who can help me with my faith. You, you need to fight for those friendships. If you're a parent and you want to build your kids and you want to build your family, you got to fight in this society. Now, am I giving you permission to take your kid's cell phone and just chop it up, you know, with a sword? Absolutely. That would be great, uh, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be fun. No, I'm not saying that. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we don't fight with weapons. We don't fight with swords. Our weapon is prayer. And that's how we fight for our kids. We pray for them on a daily basis. For those of us who struggle with anxiety 
or depression. You may need to get some professional help to help you uh, fight that battle, but you also need to use God's word and memorize a scripture like Nehemiah 8.10 that says the joy of the Lord is my strength. You fight for joy. Or you memorize a verse like Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, God will give you peace and you fight against that anxiety. And so let me ask you, what is God? What's God called you to, to, to build? You need to get crystal clear on that. And what is the opposition that you are uh, facing in your life right now? Some of you might say it's discouragement or distraction, or maybe you would say somebody is dis trying to discredit me. Whatever opposition, I want you to talk about it on the ride home today or around the dinner table. Just name it. Name the opposition. And then I want you to share how following the example of Nehemiah can help you stay focused on building and finishing what God has called you to do. There's a pastor in Atlanta by the name of Charles Stanley. Some of you have probably heard of Charles Stanley for over 50 years. God has used him to build the church. He's like a modern day Nehemiah. But he tells a story of when he began his ministry in Atlanta and he almost quit. This church had been around for a long time and when he started, he made some changes and not everybody liked it and uh, people opposed him. Some people got a little bit violent. They would lock arms and block him from getting in his office. Uh, they would have their kids beat up his kids on the playground. They threw rocks through the window of his office with a message that said, get out of here. They wanted him to quit and leave the church. He said one Sunday in the middle of the opposition, when it was about as bad as it ever had been, after he finished preaching, he went to the lobby and an elderly woman came up to him and she said, would you come have lunch with me next Friday? And he thought to himself, that's about the last thing I want to do. She's probably going to pull out about 100 pictures of her grandkids. And I'm just feeling all this pressure of issues I'm dealing with here at the church. But she persisted. And he said, he said, okay. He showed up for Friday lunch and they ate together. And she said, I want to show you a picture. And he thought, oh, here we go. But it was just one picture, a picture of the Bible character named Daniel in the uh, lion's den, similar to this one, the, his enemies threw him in a lion's den. And she said, Pastor Stanley, what do you see in this picture? And he said, well, I see Daniel and I see the lions and the lions are not eating him. And she said, you missed the whole point. He said, what are you, what are you talking about? I know the story of Daniel in the lion's den as well as anybody. And she said, where is Daniel looking? And he said, well, he's looking up. And she said, I know you're going through a lot of difficulty but take your eyes off the lions and look towards God. And he said that moment changed his life and changed his ministry. And that was the day that he decided that he would never, ever quit. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the amazing story of, of Nehemiah and the way that he endured God, thank you for, for being a God who loves to build and rebuild. Thank you for using ordinary people like us, for putting something on our hearts to rebuild. Maybe it's a, a family, a school, a career, a church, whatever it is. But God, we know we can't do this without your help and your strength. I pray that we would not allow the opposition to, to slow us or stop us, but that we would endure 
God, give us the strength and the clarity to overcome the opposition and keep building what you have called each of us to build. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.